DJ and PK reminding you to join Hans and Scotty G Friday at the warehouse from 10 to 2. Price is so low, it'll blow your mind. Boom! Time to welcome back Andy Bailey, NBA analyst and writer for Bleacher Report. Andy, good morning. Morning. How are you guys? Good. Andy, what is the etiquette? Can Jazz fans chant beat LA at the Clippers, or is that like a Laker thing and you're just uh, you're just totally screwing up at that point? Good question. Um, I think they should go ahead and, and chant whatever they want. Push off P might be a little bit more effective, though. <laughs> Wasn't that one that they used against Paul George a couple years ago? Yep. We got people tweeting that at us. You're you you're, you got the vibe of the people. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm partial to that one. Although I, you know, all the uh, Joe Ingles, Paul George content I've seen in the last couple of days actually makes me a little bit nervous. Hopefully, uh, hopefully Paul George. Um, I don't I don't know what I'm what I'm trying to say here without sounding terribly biased, but I I would like to see Joe Ingles get in Paul George's head again. I'll just leave it at that. That's terribly biased. Well, that's an interesting concept of Paul George because watching him play for many years, and particularly this season, I've been saying that if I'm going to draw up a prototypical NBA athlete, it's going to be somebody like Paul George. You know, he's got the height, he's got the wingspan, he's got the agility, he can shoot, he can drive, he can defend. So it seems to me that... You know, he is the classic player in the NBA, but we know he's had his struggles in the postseason. I thought that, particularly playing off Kawhi and not having to be the number one dude, he was pretty doggone good in the first-round series. So I'm expecting him to continue that. How do you see it? I think you're probably right. I I would agree with everything that you said there. Um and it certainly, he seemed to be setting himself up to be one of the premier guys in the league, especially if you go back to that season where I think he finished third and MVP voting. It seemed like everything was sort of coming together for him. Um, and I don't, there are, there are mental aspects of the game that are harder to analyze, I think, for anybody than the objective statistical type stuff. And there does seem to be a little bit of a mental block with him in the postseason. Um, it seems to, to basically go back to when he dubbed himself playoff P. Uh, I, I don't know if those two things are related or what, but he certainly had great moments as a playoff performer with the Pacers. Um, it's just been pretty inconsistent since then. Now, like you said, he was decent in the first round against Dallas. I'm sure he would like to shoot better than 31% from three, but his his basic numbers look pretty good. And when you've got Kawhi on your team and, and Kawhi is going to command – at the very least, the best perimeter defender, um, and at certain times probably double teams, it's going to make it easier for Paul George to get good looks. Um, so maybe this is the postseason that he breaks out of whatever slump that he's been in the last few years because, like you said, in terms of physicality, what you want out of wings in today's game, um, just pure talent level, he, he should be one of the best players in the league. And, and statistically, he has been. Um, it's just that there does seem to be a little bit of a bugaboo with him in the playoffs. So we all know the cliche, live by the three, die by the three, but the Jazz have so many good three-point shooters. When they're open, they're just not going to miss for that long. So the question is, if the Clippers switch everything, are they really going to be able to limit the number of open shots the Jazz get? I don't don't think they are. and live by the three, die by the three is is true in a lot of cases. But with this particular Jazz team, like you said, are they really going to die by the three four out of seven games? Um, 
and and the evidence over the course of the season has suggested no, they won't. And and you know, funny things happen in the playoffs. And the thing about the Clippers, this particular matchup is tough because they're a team that can probably go shot for shot with the Jazz um, in terms of three point shooting. They didn't they didn't take and make as many as the Jazz did this season, but I believe they finished, and I'm, I'm checking it now, they did finish the season first in three-point percentage. They've got a bunch of different guys who can hit threes. Um, so if it, if it becomes a shootout, the Clippers may be as well-equipped as anyone left in the playoffs to you know go three for three with the Jazz. But that there will be, I would say, at least one or two games where the Jazz – make more than their average when they hit 19 or 23s and those are going to be tough games to win even for the clippers um so live by the three die by the three has been a, a mantra in the league for a long time and there's a lot of truth to it but we've never seen the team take and make as many as the jazz um and then they do it at a very efficient rate despite all the attempts that they do take so um it's it's true but it may be difficult to apply to this jazz team just because they're they're basically not basically they are unprecedented the way that they shot the ball this season is is unprecedented obviously they set the record for threes per game and um you know they they are a dynamic three-point shooting team i think it'll continue through the playoffs i'm not sure it'll be enough to beat the clippers there's just so much top end talent there um but that amount of shooting gives you a chance against just about anybody Inevitably, the Clippers will go small, whether it's to start the game or later in the game, later in the series some point. It's going to happen. And so you've got Gobert on the other end. Who has the advantage, do you think, when the Clippers employ that particular strategy? Yeah, that's a good question, and I think you're right. They're, they're going to go small. That's kind of what turned the tide of that series against the Mavericks. And I, I think there's reason for some concern with that if you're a jazz fan or you're in the jazz organization but um the clippers going small is a lot different than golden state going small a few years ago or houston going small against the jazz in the playoffs a few years ago um you know if they play marcus morris at the five yeah he can step out and hit some threes and and that's always been kind of a weakness for gobert is is defending guys out at the three-point line um not not in the sense that the national media portrays it because I think he's better at staying in front of guys uh, when they drive from the perimeter than people want to give him credit for. But there are times where it looks like he's, he, he's not as gung ho about contesting threes as you might want him to be. And maybe that's because he is, you know, he's, he's protecting himself against the drive. Um, But anyway, Marcus Morris is going to hit some threes. (laughs) If he's at the five, that's just kind of how it goes. But, Gobert should be able to just absolutely dominate them inside. And, and Jazz fans know this. That doesn't mean he has to post up and hit hook shots and, and stuff like that. Um, he can feast on offensive boards if they're going to put Marcus Morris at the five. His roll gravity will continue to be a problem. Um, he, he can really dominate the game in a way that very few other big men can because he doesn't have to dominate the ball to dominate the game on offense. So if they do go small, like you said, I, I think they will go small at a certain point to me that just that just opens up the lane for him he should get plenty of dunks uh plenty of putbacks plenty of alley-oops um you know there's a little bit of onus on his teammates to find him for those opportunities but i i do think he should dominate if the clippers go small i i think that's sort of the next step in in go bears playoff evolution so to speak so you got a long series here are you thinking six or seven games for this 
I am. I, I think these two teams are very evenly matched. Home court advantage, I think, is, is huge. Obviously, the fact that the Jazz locked that up throughout the playoffs is big. Um, and I would, I would probably lean them based on that. It's, that's sort of the tiebreaker to me. Um, because these teams are, I mean, I already talked about how close they are in terms of three point shooting. You know, the Jazz had a little bit more volume than the Clippers, but their accuracy has just been ridiculous. Um, so it's, it's going to be tough to win shootouts with them. And then we just saw how Kawhi Leonard can still find that sort of terminator within himself to completely take over a series. Um, you know, Luka Doncic was all the rage of the first few games of that series. And then it was like, Kawhi just flipped a switch and decided we're not losing this. Um, and we've seen that from him many times over the course of his career. He basically did that for the entire postseason when the Raptors won the title a couple of years ago. Um, and, and when you look at Utah's roster, they've got solid perimeter defenders. I don't know if they have anybody that can really bother Kawhi Leonard. Um, you know, Royce O'Neal is going to give it his all. Um, Joe Ingles will probably get some time on him. Although, you know, the other thing about the Clippers is you have to worry about, you, we have to have another guy for Paul George too. Um, and after, after Royce O'Neal and Joe Ingles, perimeter defense gets kind of small for the Jazz. So there are certainly concerns there. Um, but the, the shooting that Utah has, the backline rim protection with Gobert, um, the way that they move the ball, the fact that they have four or five guys who can go off for 30 points on a given night, um, they, have, they have a lot of depth. They've got a lot of things working in their favor. Um, you know, I was just thinking about this this morning. A couple weeks ago, and really for most of the season, I thought there's, you know, five, six, seven teams. I think I could make a reasonable argument for winning it all. I, I think I'm maybe down to three and uh, it looks like the Jazz, the Clippers, and the Nets to me. And maybe maybe my opinion will change again. It seems like a game-to-game thing in the playoffs. Maybe things will look different after tonight. Um, but right now, it, I, I would put those three teams kind of in their own tier. So if Conley is compromised by injury, how much of a factor do you think that is? I think it's pretty big. Um, Utah has on the bright side, they've kind of gotten used to playing without him over the last two seasons. He's missed a lot of time um, with the hamstring. And I actually think there are some, some slight benefits to those lineups that have Mitchell as sort of your de facto one. Um, you know, if you've, if you've got a little bit more switchability at the two through four with O'Neal, Ingles, and Bogdanovich, I think that could help defensively, especially against a team like the Clippers, who are also kind of, you know, big and switchable through those positions. Um, you can play a little bit differently without him, but there's there's just a steadiness with Conley at the one, and he he looked phenomenal in that series against the Grizzlies up until the injury. Um, his his playmaking was kind of back to the the Memphis level. He he had taken a step back as an assist guy in Utah just because that's the nature of Utah's system. Everybody handles the ball, and so the assists are sort of spread out. Um, but he had. To me, it looked like he had taken the reins of more possessions than, than we'd seen in regular season games uh, there against Memphis. And it, his his shot making has been huge ever since he came to Utah. He's a big part of that three point attack. Um, so not having him, I think, hurts for sure. Uh, but the fact that Utah has kind of prepared itself, uh, whether it wanted to or not, over the last two seasons, I think I think helps a little bit. Um, you know, you'd obviously want your 
starting point guard there. But if there's a team that's built to withstand one or two losses, it, it's the Jazz. You know, Patrick Beverly makes a really good villain, and I think he enjoys the role. I think he kind of looks forward to it. What kind of a role is he going to have in this series and is going to be big enough that he could be the villain? You know what's interesting about that is I I think you're totally right. He fancies himself the villain, and he'll get up into Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley, whoever he's asked to guard. Um, It'll be interesting to see how big of a role he has. They they basically took him out of the rotation for parts of that yeah, Maverick didn't, series. He didn't play in Game Seven. Yeah, yeah, and and Reggie Jackson. <laughs> it's it, this has been an interesting season for me because there have been three or four guys that I thought were cooked. Um, I can't recall off the top of my head if Reggie Jackson is a former All Star. I don't know if he ever made one in the East, but he was at least a guy who was, you know, close to a twenty point per game scorer a couple of those years in Detroit. I, I thought he was done. Um, he's reinvented himself with the Clippers, his, his reliability as a three point shooter. I never would have imagined he'd get to this point. He, he was just more of a driver to me early in his career. Um, so his, his shooting. And I think the fact that he's a little bit longer than Patrick Beverly made him valuable in that Maverick series. And I, I would think the same strengths would, would help against the jazz. But one thing that I've always kind of worried about with Utah for the last couple of years is they, they have a pretty small backcourt. Um, you know, I think after the NBA decided we're not going to list players' heights with their shoes anymore, I, I'm pretty sure Mitchell and Conley are both listed at 6'1". Um, and so maybe this is a series where Patrick Beverly can survive a little bit better because I think one of his problems against Dallas is he's just he, he's too small to do anything with Luka Doncic. And obviously Doncic knew that because he yelled it at him a couple times. Um, so if Patrick Beverly's playing, I think he has a little bit better chance of staying on the floor against Utah. Um, but if they throw out those lineups that have Mitchell at the one and, and they force Beverly to switch on to a guy like um, Joe Ingles or, or Boyan Bagdanovich, he could be punished there too. So I'm I'm curious to see how much of a role he plays. I think Zubats will probably have a bigger role than he did against Dallas too. Um, but like you said, they're going to they're gonna want to go small at some point because that was really successful for them against Dallas. And it's going to be sort of a <laughs> – who can impose their who can impose their style more on the other and and I think Utah has a chance to do that. Well, Andy, as always, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for uh, hopping on and talking a little playoff basketball with us. No problem. Thanks for having me, guys. Andy Bailey, NBA analyst, writer. You can read him at Bleacher Report. DJ PK getting you up to speed on all the stuff you missed during this show. An NFL coach passing away. Uh, a guy with strong Utah ties. We will get to that coming up next. Stay with us.